Startups, you don't need to settle for a cumbersome banking experience to protect your money. Mercury offers banking and credit cards with effortless experience, giving ambitious companies greater precision, control, and focus without compromising security. Open smarter checking and savings accounts, control spend, optimize cash flow, and close the books in record time. Visit mercury.com to join more than 100,000 startups that trust Mercury with their finances and to help them perform at their highest level. Support for this show comes from Indeed. If you need to hire, you may need Indeed. Indeed is a matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Listeners of this show can get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and say you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as someone who thinks if President Trump is really serious about climate change, he'd hereby order everyone onto a scooter. But in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair is Joe Kraus, the president of Lime. This is, of course, the company that used to be known as Limebike, but is now one of the key players in the scooter wars. Joe was previously Lime's first COO and was named president in May. He also is someone I have known for a very long time, Indeed. I think from the beginning there. Disclosure, I was actually in his wedding um, a long time ago, 100, 120 years. I think, yeah, I've had a, my 120th anniversary. 120th anniversary. Um, but he has a lot of interest. We're going to talk about that and more, and we're talking about Lyme and where it's going. But first, talk a little bit about your background. You, you're not just any C uh, president of Lyme. You've had a long history of an early internet person. Um, well, that's how we met. That's right. So you ran. Explain who you are. All right. So I've been in the Valley about 25 years. Mm-hmm. Graduated Stanford in 93. And typical. Typical. Right. Won really a birth lottery, truthfully, because internet was just getting commercialized with the web in 94. And uh, friends of mine and I coming out of Stanford didn't want to work for anybody else. We started an early internet search engine that was called Excite. Yep. Took a public in 96. That's how we met. That's right. We met at a dinner with... There was one search engine with two guys, but that was later. Like, when was Excite? That was— 93 we started. That was right. basically the Yahoo time Yeah, Yahoo. Well. There, was Yahoo. there was Jerry Yang and Dave Philo That's and right. then the 10 of you guys or yeah, whatever. Yeah, right, exactly. We just and got I had a, a dinner larger, with larger 10 band. dudes at a restaurant in Palo Alto, mm. and you were the only person I found interesting. You and Graham. Um, I don't know who the rest of those people were and what happened to them whatsoever. There was a big search engine uh, wars, essentially. Yeah, for sure, back in those days. It was a fight for dominance. Right. Obviously, first, Google ultimately Excite. won. At first, it was Excite and Yahoo, right? And Yahoo was— Dominant. Yeah, Yahoo did the whole browsing thing. We were right. doing the search thing. Right. But that was back in the day when search was viewed as like a means to an end. You would gather traffic but couldn't monetize it directly. And right. Then there was the innovation about essentially including in search results ads, and then Google really took it obviously further with their bidding system and separating sure. the ads on the right-hand side. Right, right. But Ran Google was a it. newcomer. Yeah, you they guys, were a 99, I 99. believe, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. There was AltaVista in there, which right. had a big run for a while as well. Little so, run. 
little, <laughs> Sorry. very short run. Having been in those, everything yeah. feels like a compressed period of time. Yeah, but you would start this search engine. You had a really cool headquarters, which this, this With is the slide. The slide. This is the famous slide that Joe tried to get me to go down, exactly. and I declined to ride yeah. the slide. And everybody, everyone in Silicon Valley, you know, had the problem slide. with that slide is it actually generated a tremendous amount of static electricity. So as you went down, you were being constantly shocked. Well, that's not why I didn't go down it. I didn't go down it because it was inane for someone who's above forty to go down a slide. That's oh, why. you should really give it. No, a I really no, no. I, I just wanted to talk about your business. But anyway, they ran Excite, and then it merged with At Home, which was a cable internet access company. Go Rodeo is yeah. what I was thinking. And um, so we took Excite public in 96, and then we sold it in 99 to At Home. And then uh, I left in April of 2000 and took some time off and traveled Were you a bit. involved in the Blue Mountain Arts buy? I was involved in the Blue yeah, Mountain Arts buy. Yeah, this was the card buy. thing. Yeah, yeah, this was back in the day when, like, eyeballs were the hottest thing to try to grab, and there was a greeting cards company, an e-greeting cards company called Blue Mountain Arts, mm-hmm. uh, which we bought, and that was certainly a mistake. Although now, isn't he the governor? He's the governor of Colorado. <laughs> of the Colorado? Son. Yeah, yeah, he's the son, Jared. Yeah, um, great guy. He's a great guy. He was. It was interesting because the uh, the husband and wife, his parents who had started the companies were kind of hippies. Did you know they called me during that? You were like, everyone's like, how'd you get that scoot? I'm like, they called me to ask my advice. And I said, take the cash, don't take any of that stock, and run for the hill. Oh, so you're responsible for the poor deal structure yes, that we ultimately exactly. did. Thank you very little. No problem. It was really funny. I was like, I said, you know, I'm a reporter, I'm going to write about this now. She's like, yeah, but I just want the rest of y'all. I say, take the cash, run <laughs> so far. And well, they, you were prescient in terms of— uh, million in cash, right? Or I don't remember what the price was, but like, it's on that order of magnitude remember. for sure. It was yeah, a lot. It was a lot. So then you took time off. Then you were sort I took of— took time off. I did some traveling, um, ultimately did some political work, joined the board of the Electronic Frontier Foundation, and then started a second company in 2004, which is a small— Wiki collaborative group editing right, company called Jotspot, oh, and we Jotspot. yeah we sold that in 2006 to Google. Right, which is how I ended up at Google, and mm-hmm. then I was starting Explain Jotspot. I like to keep people this this memorialized. Yeah, sure. This was right as Wikipedia was getting going. I think Wikipedia was probably '03, mm-hmm. something like that. But the basic premise was back in 2003. You know, I don't know. We were on like Word or Microsoft Office 11, mm-hmm. and so one thought was. The whole office suite was really around making an individual more productive. Mm-hmm. But at least Graham, uh, my co-founder in both Excite and, and Jotspot, we were thinking, how much more productive can an individual get in Office 12 versus Office 11? But the internet had been around for about a decade. Email was clearly a way that people were communicating, and more and more groups were needing to work together over long distances. And so the idea was, well, Actually, it's about group productivity is what's going to be more important. And wikis were starting to come out as a group editing tool. Mm -hmm. And so we commercialized basically technology for allowing people to spin up wikis. It was a SaaS company, which was new at the time. And group editing was new again at the time. Obviously, Notes, Lotus Notes back in way back in the day uh, was something that had, had existed Ultimately, Google looked at it as they were building out their doc suite. So docs. they had it's Google doc, Docs. It fits in Docs and it then Slack in, in a lot of ways. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, it's amazing. pieces of it. It's yeah. amazing how the extension of that, if I look today at Lassian, very successful company right. that Another has one. obviously things like Jira for bugs, but they had Confluence, which was a competitive product at the time. And what I think Slack really took to the next level was that same trend about working together and Mm -hmm. getting off of email. But I think they really figured out that it was about messaging um, better than we ever did. Right, absolutely. So then you were at Google, and you moved into the investing space. Yeah, so I was 
uh, two guys had gotten Google Ventures off the ground, right. and then uh, I, along with several others, joined as really kind of the founding general partners mm-hmm. uh, as Google moved from investing $100 million a year up to now about a billion dollars a year. So right. I was there for a decade as a general partner focused on marketplaces but also transportation. It turns out Lime was my second-to-last investment at Google Ventures, and I got so excited about what I saw in terms of the right. growth, the megatrends, that I just wanted to get back to I was surprised when you became a VC because you had been such an operator. You were such an entrepreneur versus moving inside. of. I mean, they, it seems like that's the disease everybody gets. They become mm. a venture capitalist. You but. know, for me, I really thought about starting a third company. That's what I thought I would do. You mm-hmm. know, when I got to Google, I started a list the first day I got to Google of great product managers, engineers, designers, biz dev people that I was meeting. And once a quarter, I would stack rank the top five people, just Mm -hmm. thinking this is a group of people that I'd want to recruit. The reality is when I got to Google, I had one kid. And when I, my kind of earnout was done at Google, I had three. Mm -hmm. And so I just felt like I wasn't cut out for operations at that time in my life. Right. So basically took a decade and invested. And I loved it in terms of the intellectual variety. But what I missed was... The relationships you form with people when you struggle to do the impossible, mm-hmm. um, that's just incredibly rewarding at a personal level. All right. So we'll get to Lime in a second. But so you – working at Google Ventures, Google has two venture arms now. Uh, they Google, have kind Google. of a venture group called Google Ventures right. and a private equity-style later stage bigger right. checks called Capital G. Capital G, which does different things, competing things sometimes. 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 We work together. Yeah. Um, how what was that experience like being a VC? Because you, you, it got you to Lime. I mean, what were you? Why did you suddenly focus on? You had been in content really forever. Yeah, I mean, I'd say the first content wave was around kind of consumer with search engine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jotspot was really around small to mid-sized businesses and mm-hmm. dealing with customer acquisition and business problems about long-term value versus cost of customer acquisition. I don't know. I found transportation really, really interesting in general because I think. Maybe one of the things that I yearn for is the ability to affect people's real lives, like non-digital lives. There's always an interesting business going on with some new digital thing. Be it what the rise. What some of the others you invested in there? In the transportation category, in general, in general, there. Let's see. Kind of looking back, Turo is one mm-hmm. company that's a peer-to-peer car rental mm-hmm. company. Obviously, still going and doing quite well. In the trucking space, I invest in a company called Keep Trucking, mm-hmm. which is basically in. Uh, bringing technology to this huge segment of the American economy that not many people address. Was an investor in a company that's not related to transportation, but in the marketplace space, which is the other spot called StockX. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a market that's kind of hidden in plain sight. It's a secondary market like StubHub is to tickets. StockX is to these hard-to-get sneakers and T-shirts, and it's actually a much bigger business than people oh, I think realize. It's I'm a teenage boy. So yeah, just, you know it I exactly. Know about it. I've been you know, buying like things. Supreme and, and collaboration. That's not cool, just so you know. Supreme is no longer cool. It's I understand cool. the bloom is off the road. If yeah. somebody like me is talking about Supreme, it is definitely yes. not cool. Yeah. So that's another example of a company right. that was in the kind of sweet spot for me investing. But this one, Lime, what did you see when you were in, as an investor? It, it had, this is, they had started as a bike company. Yeah, they had started in the bike sharing space, starting with pedal bikes, and they had just introduced e-bikes. And by the time I was looking at it, they had started introducing scooters, mm-hmm. um, their own scooters. So one of the things that I thought was interesting about them is they didn't use other people's scooters, like a 9-bot Segway, but they were instead using scooters that they had built themselves. So what did I see at that time? And that was back now in April of 2018. 
Back, way back when. Way back when. <laughs> a year uh, in and a half time. ago. Um, Less than a year and a half. The main thing I saw was just incredible growth. The, you know, any investor is really looking for, especially in an early to mid-stage investor, they're looking for evidence of product market fit. Mm-hmm. And what was incredible is it was clear that scooters were something people loved. Mm-hmm. Not just like liked and used, but you would just watch people. You'd stand on a street corner and you'd see people try to figure out what is this thing how do I ride it? What do you mean it's for rents? Because this kind of sharing model, dockless sharing mobility, was something that was really novel in the United States. It was common in China, mm-hmm. but it was novel in the United States back 18, 20 months ago. And so first, watching people figure out what this is. But then the second is literally the smile they would have on their face when they took off on one of these scooters, I argue that this is the closest thing humanity's devised to a magic carpet. Mm-hmm. People smile, and then they figured out how, how useful it was, how much time it saved them. Mm-hmm. And you saw that in the numbers. Basically, you saw incredible growth in terms of trips, revenue, users, and that was kind of the first signal. Mm-hmm. And then the question we had to ask ourselves was, is this a fad or a durable trend? Right. If it's a durable trend, can you make money from it? Right. And then how does the competitive landscape emerge? And so right. going through those questions was really the diligence process we did to say, should we invest in any company? And any then the, of them, any which of there them, were several. And there were several. And then the question was, why the one we're looking at? And ultimately, we came to the conclusion that Lime was the best company for that. Once we answered, yes, it's a durable trend, yes, you can make money, and yes, we think the competitive landscape will allow independent companies to exist, we picked Lime for several reasons. One, we love the executional prowess of the team. They were not first to market in scooters, but they were gaining share. They were still, they were still behind, mm-hmm. in that case, Bird, at that time, but they were gaining ground. Second is that they had built their own supply chain, and we felt like hardware was going to be a critical component of the business. And the third is we thought that their approach to government relations was really just plain better uh, in the way that they interacted and worked with cities. You know, the old model was this kind of uber combative model, but our view at GV looking at the whole space was... Which was an investor in Uber, by the way. Which was an investor in Uber. Um, Was it both of you? Both GV was and also... No, uh, capital G's in Lyft. Lyft, that's right. Okay, right, that's right. So Alphabet has plays in both. Right. You know, in a scooter business, Uber's hidden in plain sight. Like Uber mm. X, you can't tell if that right. vehicle's an Uber or not. Scooters are on the street, visible. So you have to be a good partner with cities. You can't just kind of slip under the radar. We're going to get impossible. into that next when we talk about that, about safety and all kinds of issues because it's a really challenging operational business. But they had been in bikes, which hadn't worked. When you were looking at these sectors, a lot of these companies had tried bikes. There's obviously been city bikes and the, those companies, Lyft and the others have gotten into those. Talk a little bit about the shift because it was called Lime Bike, and that was not disastrous, but felt semi-disastrous. There were too many. There were those pictures in China of bikes on top of bikes. That one photo was just fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I would say if you look at the history of bike share in China, Mm -hmm. it is a story of unbridled competition to basically win market share with no spend efficiency. Mm -hmm. Like they basically just dumped bikes everywhere. Right. Now, the good news is that for the U.S., Europe, Australia, New Zealand, basically any market but for China, and even China, though, today, mm-hmm. nobody wants that. Right. And so cities are looking at how do we integrate micromobility, which they think is a good thing. Right. But make sure it's not this crazy, unbridled, 
war on the streets where hardware gets dumped and basically thrown into the, you know the stories are easy it's easy for the media to pick on including sure. scooters we'll get into that but sure. it's less so with scooters than bikes bikes really didn't work as well although they did when they were docked like it's a really interesting mm. from the city's point of view but not from the customer's point of right, view right exactly because you can pick them up anywhere in my view what's happening broadly speaking is that you're seeing this unbundling of the car and the trend went it first started with Uber. Mm-hmm. So Uber taught people that I don't need to own a car. I can have access to a car. And if that access is reliable enough— You know, that's my enough, brand. <laughs> you, know, you know, I've written about this a lot, yeah. like that you're not going to own one. Right. You, you have access over right. ownership. Right. And that itself was playing on the back of, like, the sharing economy mm-hmm. that was coming up with Airbnb and others. But I think what Uber really showed is that it's sufficient liquidity, it's sufficient availability, it's a substitute for ownership. Right. And you can mediate that through your phone. You can summon a car on your phone. I think the next wave that's happening is to ask the question, why is the car the right vehicle for all trips? Mm -hmm. You know, since Henry Ford in 1908 with the introduction of the Model T, we've really had this notion of – One car to rule them all. Mm -hmm. I take short and long trips with it, day trips and night trips with it, trips to the mountains, trips to the store. I do everything in my car. But if you look at an urban environment in particular— Where most people are moving. Where most—yeah, I mean, 55% of the world's population is in a city today. That's expected to be 68% in 2050, which is about 2.5 billion people moving to cities. Like, cities are—the trend towards cities is inexorable. Mm -hmm. It begs the question, cars aren't— really the greatest vehicle for short trips. Mm -hmm. And so this unbundling of the car, which I think boils down to small vehicles for small trips, and the car is great for going long distances Mm -hmm. where you want to go point to point. But inside a city under five miles, I strongly believe cars are not the right vehicle type. Right. And you know, people are talking about this. What's interesting about the bike thing, the first time I ever heard of the notion of this, of all things, I was walking with Sergey Brin and he said, I'm going to dump 100,000 bicycles in New York. That's my new idea. This was a decade ago. It was weird. I was like, what? And he goes, yes, because they had them around Google, if you remember. Oh, you yeah, know, the, for sure. The colored boot. And I always wanted to steal one like, or, or drive into them you or something. You wouldn't be the first. You know, not just steal them, but I was like, oh, they, they just annoyed me for some reason. But I also saw the I genius. I think you're easily annoyed. I know, that's true. But they're, it's just they were multicolored and like as if you're on a beach in the summer. I just was like, <laughs> you people, wake up. <laughs> Happy Googlers. Happy Googlers. So he, but they had a lot of them. He said, I'm going to drop 100,000 on New York. And— I figured this many get stolen. He had an exact number that would get stolen and damaged. And then he said, I'm, then I'm going to drop 100,000 more. Then I'm going to drop 100,000. And he had a point where you couldn't drop enough like that it became useful, that it would hit every section of the city. And, and he had the algorithm. He was, it was crazy at the time. And I thought, that was, that's brilliant in a weird way, like that you could do this, the idea of dropping micromobility onto a city. Could you replicate what was happening on the Google campus, mm-hmm. which I thought was super interesting. But it was also, uh, as usual, typically not thinking of life in the city, like dumping 100,000 bikes on a c- Okay, you know, billionaire, mm-hmm. that's good for you and your experimentation. So it was a really, it, it's, a, it's a great idea that was initially, especially on bikes, executed totally wrongly. I remember being in Seattle and being overwhelmed by bikes there, which I don't think are there now, or cities not well, being. No, we still have, I mean, Lime still has a bike operation there. Right. The thing I would say, though, is this about bikes versus scooters. Right. We offer both. Uh 98% of our business is scooters. Now, yeah. And the reason is scooters are a better form factor for a mile and a half to two miles. They just are. And Mm -hmm. I think it's really a couple of reasons. The first is people know what a bike is. So I'll I'll say this. An e-bike, if you haven't been on one, Mm -hmm. is no work at all. But when you look at it, 
it still looks like work because right. you've ridden a bike before and you think you have to pedal this and it's going to be work and maybe you're going to be a little sweaty. Also, the act of getting on a bike is mm-hmm. meaningfully different than a slight step up to get on a scooter. Right, it is. And lastly, scooters are just more manageable as a vehicle. They're lighter, less cumbersome, smaller. And so for this subtle group of reasons, scooters took off in terms of utilization in a way that bikes have not. Yeah. There's some tinier. In Los Angeles, there's these teeny little bikes. I think you? It's a company called Wheels. Wheels. Puts those out. And um, they're interesting. I do think my own view is that Scooters are great for like a mile and a half to two miles and under. There's a vehicle type that I think has yet to be discovered between two and five miles. Mm-hmm. Some people are trying it with mopeds like Revel in Brooklyn and Washington, right. D.C. just was with on E-Mofed. one the other day. Okay, yeah. That itself is a clone of a company called Gogoro in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. There's the wheels form factor, which is a small bike. Teeny. Teeny, like right. a clown one. Yeah. Um, people, adults look ridiculous on them uh-huh. with their fun to ride. I'm going to get a picture of you on one. Okay, I, just, I feel uh, it. There is one existing. Uh, uh, I'm not going to show it to you. Okay. Um, and then I think, I think we have yet to discover what that ideal form factor is for the U.S. market in particular in that two to five mile range. I think that Amer- my own personal bias, I think Americans have always had an uncertain relationship with a moped. Mm-hmm. It's bigger, certainly bigger in East Asia. It's modestly sized in Europe. And mopeds have been around for a long time. So I'm not fully convinced that an electric moped, and I, I would point to Scoot's moped operation mm-hmm. in San Francisco, been around quite a while. Yeah, I haven't ridden one. And you probably haven't ridden one. I had a moped all through high school. We'll talk about this some more when we get back. We're here with Joe Kress. He's the president of Lime, which used to be called Lime Bikes, but now is one of the leading scooter companies. Startups, you don't need to settle for a cumbersome banking experience to protect your money. Mercury offers banking and credit cards with effortless experience, giving ambitious companies greater precision, control, and focus without compromising security. Open smarter checking and savings accounts, control spend, optimize cash flow, and close the books in record time. Visit mercury.com to join more than 100,000 startups that trust Mercury with their finances and to help them perform at their highest level. Support for this show comes from Indeed. Imagine the perfect employee. Let's call her Jackie. Jackie is professional yet relaxed, punctual, friendly, meets deadlines, and just makes your job easier overall. But the search for Jackie can be long and tedious, especially when you have so many other things on your plate. Indeed wants to help you find your next Jackie. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. They leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, so their matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. That means they can better connect you with your Jackie. And listeners of this show can get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and say you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
We're here with Joe Kraus. He's the president of Lime. We've been talking about various uh, the micro mobility. Is that right? Is that, that micro mobility? That is the term. So I, I want to. So so you guys leaned really heavily into scooters. This idea. You're right. There's all kinds of different ways people are getting on. I was thinking vertical lift and takeoff things. Drone. Would I get in a drone? I probably would get in a drone. Like those kind of things, which I think are super interesting. I know Uber has some experiment they've kept going for. Some unknown reason. Uber elevate and, Whatever. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. Maybe it'll happen. Probably not for 30 years or something like that. And, you know, they'll drop like three or four people into the bay, you know, <laughs> and then we'll see how that goes. Have you talked to Joby Aviation? No. They're what's like that? the most interesting company in eVTOL. I don't want to get over they, it. That's what they do with Joby? Joby Aviation. Okay. J-O-B-Y all right. Aviation. And then there's hoverboards, which are or hovercraft, which is Larry Page's thing or over there at uh, Kitty Hawk mm-hmm. and things like that. So t- I want to talk first about the bigger one, then about Lime, because What's happened with Lyme is you are in a com- really competitive landscape, not unlike your experience in search. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like here you are again with several different companies. But first I want to finish with micro-ability. So there's there's going to be lots of answers, you mean, in, in that you don't know what the answers are for the various problems. Yeah. Clearly scooters right now are what people love. Mm-hmm. Like we've done six – we operate today in 100 cities, 26 countries, five continents. We've done over 65 million rides. Mm-hmm. The business has grown tremendously and I don't see any signs of that abating. Mm-hmm. Like 11 percent – to give you an example, like 11 percent of Parisians use a scooter. Well, we can talk about Paris because I just wrote a column about that, the yep. idea of – okay, so 11 percent use the scooters that are that are available. That's there. right, which is – Amazing. They've Mm -hmm. been available in Paris for a year. Mm -hmm. The amount of people who have shifted their behaviors from cars to scooters is – So the shift is from cars. It's not from public transportation or walking or what? There's a few shifts. So about when we – when you look at data from, let's say, um, Portland's Department of Transportation, which I think has done the best study on this, that doesn't involve us, right? So I'll use their data. We have data that basically confirms this, but their independent data was – In Portland, at least, about 40% of people were replacing a car trip. About half of that was replacing an independent car trip. About half of that was replacing uh, an Uber or Lyft trip, a rideshare trip. Mm -hmm. The remainder was replacing walking primarily. They weren't replacing public transit. What was essentially happening was um, our data shows about 40% of rides start or end at public transit. And so let me me even rewind. People are riding to public transit. People last mile. Right. So they might take the subway, and then from the subway, they take the scooter to their work. Mm-hmm. So our, our business in general and our view is that micromobility works much better in Europe than the United States. Those cities were made for – they're much denser. They're old. They were made for horses and humans, not cars. Cars mm-hmm. were always a retrofit into those cities. Mm-hmm. Um, They've so invested. Cobblestones, thank you very much in Paris. Cobblestones make it difficult. Oh, they yeah. make it difficult to uh, – well, even worse is Prague. Prague's a really interesting market for us, and mm-hmm. I'm shocked people ride scooters because it is so cobblestony there. Right. It's difficult. Um, but regardless, so they're denser, older, cars were always a retrofit. They invested in public transportation earlier, so their networks are better, and that's right. actually better for micromobility because of this positive relationship between mm-hmm. micromobility and public transit. And then lastly, they invested in bike lanes early. So the infrastructure, there's this great website called Copenhagenize that looks at the biking infrastructure. Top 20 cities are not in the U.S. They're in Europe. And so that's why the micromobility business, scooters in particular, is a much better business in Europe than it is in the United States. Bike lanes are critical. They are absolutely critical for like usage and safety, both. We'll get into those in a minute. But let's first talk about the competition. So you came over from Google because you just wanted – this is the company you wanted to work for or what? 
Because what I saw was a company that was growing incredibly fast, was global in scale, and was riding two durable trends, urbanization and all the attendant problems. More urbanization is more traffic, more pollution, more congestion. Truthfully, I think at a – certainly in the United States, I think there's also this epidemic of loneliness with the decline in um, religious institutions, the decline in kind of civil organizations, lions clubs, rotary clubs. People are lonelier. And all of those trends, I think, have some interface with transit. So I don't think cars are the answer as two and a half billion more people go into cities. I felt very confident of that. That trend coupled with the great execution of Lime and the growth of Lime and the global nature of the business got me really attracted about jumping in again. Mm -hmm. So that's why Lime in particular was, again, they made their own scooters from the very beginning, had a great government relations team to get into these cities. Competitively, what I think is interesting is that it was a much less clear picture a year and a half ago. Today, I think it's meaningfully clearer. We're pretty much 2x bigger than our nearest competitor. Mm -hmm. um, I would say in the United States, we're 50-50, 55-45, depending on the metrics, one way or another with Bird. Right. But if we look globally, we're 2 to 1 almost bigger than anybody else. There's a ton of them in Paris. I, was, I wrote this column about Paris. This was – and it was, again, it's, the same, it's interesting because it's the same story that Uber played out. Like, what? Like, it's the sort of what by government, it, who had, which had allowed it to happen and at the same time then was pulling back from it. I think there were at least 12 scooter companies. 16. Are there 16? Well, it, actually, was, maybe by I the time you're gone there, five had retired from the market. Whatever. There were a lot. And they were names I'd never heard of for the most part. And then there was Lyman Bird. Mm -hmm. And some that are maybe owned by Lyft that are getting rebranded Lyft. I don't recall seeing them in Paris. But you, I, I don't remember I see all of these things. But now what I see is you, Bird, you, a lot of you, Bird, uh, whatever Lyft is switched from. Are they, is that Uber or Scoot? Scoo? Are you Scoo? thinking about Jump in particular? Jump, Jump yeah. is Uber. Jump is Uber. And Lyft has changed the, whatever they bought to their name. Uh, Lyft is, I don't believe, in Paris mainly because— Not in Paris, but in the U.S. I'm oh, saying in the anywhere. U.S., yes. Yeah. They, they have Lyft scooters in the yes, U.S. Yes, but they, called, they were called something else powered by Lyft, and then they became—they had a different name. They okay. bought something or whatever. So those two have gotten into the market, those two mobility companies, Lyft and Uber. Yep. And then whatever local one pops up, it seems like. And I'm trying to think of who else is existing. In the European theater, they're essentially all one-syllable names. Mm -hmm. Tier, Voy, Wind, Cirque. Um, right. You know, right. They, right. they just – everybody seems to love one-syllable names in this right. space. But the two ones that are dominating are independent companies yes. with, with the Uber and Lyft versions pushing forward pretty heavily. In Washington, I ride a lot of Lyft ones because they're available in my mm -hmm. neighborhood. I don't see it scoot as much, but I've suddenly started to see them. Mm -hmm. Like, I take whatever is. I'm not brand loyal to you all. Like, I like Lime ones, but I'm not. So talk about that competitive environment when you're like that, when there isn't a brand loyalty necessarily. Yeah. So what I would say as is— As there is with Lyft and Uber, for sure. Really, it really, really depends on the market, truthfully. And we've got data all over the place on these topics. So if I look at Germany is a, a really important market right now, mainly because it opened somewhat recently, middle of June. The whole country opened at once. Uh, as I already mentioned, Europe, the micromobility business there mm -hmm. is meaningfully better. Mm -hmm. And in cities like Berlin, we have 47 percent of the total fleet in Berlin of all available scooters, but mm -hmm. we have 62 percent of the rides. Or in Cologne, another German city, we have 56 percent of the fleet and 71 percent of the rides. So we think 
there is evidence of at least some portion of users expressing preference, but it's the biggest thing we're working to develop. And I think, truthfully, preference comes from a few things. One is, do people like your hardware? Right. Do they feel comfortable on it? Do they like the features in your app? So it's a product piece. Sure. Another piece is, are we deploying where people need that's, them? It, that's what <laughs> so deployment is really deployment all I matters care about. a ton. What's near the coffee shop? And that's I'll right. Grab it. And then the last piece is a long-term investment. When I look at how do you create preference in a world of abundance, mm -hmm. I think the models to look at here are things like coffee and premium alcohols, where like you're willing to walk to get a Starbucks and not. Nobody's a, willing to walk to get a Starbucks. Well, you don't that's have why to there's walk. one on there's every, every corner. corner. <laughs> that's that's willing, their strategy. You're certainly willing to Shitty pay. coffee, but it's right there. It's conveniently placed. Yeah. I'm um, sorry, Howard, but it's true. Every time you buy a $3 cup of Starbucks coffee instead of a 50-cent piece of other, uh, you know, somebody else's coffee, you're expressing preference in a world of abundance. Or when you ask for a Grey Goose and soda for a spirit that is supposed to taste like nothing, you are expressing right. preference in a it's world a of abundance. Yeah. And so there is – the way these brands are built, in my opinion, is that they marry world-class product with elevating a sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that we need to continue to do is talk to our users about the sense of purpose. And our view, our mission, is that we believe a city life is a great life. And our mission is to making cities connected with other people, making them better for you to get around in, and fundamentally over time making them more human. I know that sounds like yes, a big reach. Yeah, I yeah get you it. sound like we work right I now. I know, I know. I'm sorry. You're I don't, just renting office, office space and I, I know, not but, economically. But if I just look at, like, again, I— I like that you caught yourself, at least. I did. I caught you before you yeah, caught me, which is I what like, I appreciate. Oh, you were, about to, you were yeah. about to blast me. I know that. Um, Search just, is a way to connect people across the globe. Go ahead. I, go. I just think if you don't have that— if you don't try to raise the emotional stakes, it's very tough. So you want people to like lime versus bird of versus— Of course. How, you know, I think that's an important part of the mission. But I think it starts with world-class product. Like we have to make the best hardware. And then it starts with great placement. And then it, we have to continually raise the emotional of stakes. Of those, I would imagine placement is probably the most important, right? If there's two there, if there's one there, they'll just take—people will just take one, like whatever is available. Yeah, I think there's also something to habit. Like if you look at first, That's true. I first, do take first a lime. app open, yep. it makes a difference for people. Yeah, if I uh, have a bunch of them, I'll take a lime or a bird yeah. before because I'm like— Screw you, Uber and Lyft. And we Essentially, have, we, I don't know why. I just is like I don't want any of the big companies to win. Like I like independent companies versus. Well, I appreciate the the focus on the independent. Well, you're also ridiculously valued, but that's all right. I don't care. You're independent. So that doesn't so, affect so, you as a writer. No. So the so how did, how does this competition shake out? Because you've got first of all the city's putting pressure on there. Like in in uh, San Francisco, there's just a few, right? Are you you're here, right? Are you not here? Uh, we're not you're here not today. Here, right. San Francisco just concluded their RFP process in terms of submissions on Wednesday of last week, and mm -hmm. I would anticipate that there's new scooter companies with more fleet here by mid October. Okay, so possibly you all. Possibly. Possibly. Right now, they just have a few. They have what do they have? Scoot and Skip. Scoot Skip. is now owned by Bird. And they're attached to. Um, San Francisco is the only market that has what's called a lock two requirement that requires I like it. you to have a lock. I love it. Why do you like it? Because it, 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 people aren't as sloppy. People aren't as sloppy. They don't leave them. Uh, that is the theory. What I see is a lot of scooters that are locked to themselves and then parked anywhere they want. 
Okay, I don't see that as well. I see them, people, most people behave. Most people feel like they're going to get fined. I don't know. I do, at least. Mm. And so it's interesting. I kind of like it. I like it better than just anywhere. But okay, you might have the statistics on it. So San Francisco, talk about that market. That's a more stringent market. It had the experience with Uber, and it certainly has tried to control the scooter situation. Yeah, I mean, my general view is if you look at most technology businesses, there tend to be two outlier markets, be it Airbnb or Uber or Lime. Mm-hmm. Those outlier markets are New York City and San Francisco for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, San Francisco's RFP had a number of requirements that are definitely stretches mm-hmm. uh, relative to what other markets are thinking about. We'll see how it shakes out. I, I don't have any— And New York? You're not in New York. We're not in New York. There's a bill on the mayor's desk that legalizes scooters in New York, specifically in the outer boroughs, right. but not in Manhattan. Right. Uh, we certainly hope he signs it, um, mm-hmm. and that would allow us to at least bring operations to, to the Brooklyn, outer boroughs. Where, where, We've where. got a small operation in in, uh, in New Jersey mm-hmm. um, right now. It does quite well. Do but you have to be in those big cities, those two— or not? What I've truthfully, what I've been surprised in in the economics of the business is, mm-hmm. if you had asked me ten months ago when I joined, I would have thought eh, it's only going to work in mid-sized cities and above. Truthfully, right. we have found that, I, and I've been truthfully, it's a surprising outcome and a testament to the people that make these businesses happen on the ground in these markets. Mm-hmm. It's worked in small markets and mid-sized markets and large markets, fleets as small as five hundred, up to you know ten thousand, fifteen thousand vehicles. Fleets. It's just worked across the board, and it's not easy. This is a tough business, but they've made it. They've made so it work. So I want to get into sort of the operational parts of it next. But when you have all this competition, how does that? You have been in that situation, mm-hmm. not Google roiled over everybody essentially. How does that? How does it shake out here? Does there have to be competition, or will there be two or one? At least what I see happening, mm-hmm. and this is a prediction, and predictions mm-hmm. are you know, vulnerable because what is it, the Yogi Berra quote, like it's hard to make predictions, especially about the future. So what I see today mm-hmm. is I see Lime as by far the dominant global player. We're two to one bigger than anybody else approximately. In Europe, we're, we even have a stronger market position and the competition is more fragmented. So what I see in the Nordics is it's Lime leading and Voy is the second place player. And in Germany, I see Lime leading and Tier as the second place player. And in France, I see Lime leading. And in that case, Bird's the second place player. So mm-hmm. I just see a fragmented competitive environment where I think Lime has an opportunity to be half the market in mm-hmm. Europe. Is and that important? You have to be half the no, market. No, I, I think so. what I see in the United States is actually quite a interesting competitive environment where I think it's really us and Bird fighting it out and providing great service to users and and basically being kind of 50-50 in the United States. How do you look at Bird then? So I credit Bird. They started the scooter revolution and I thought that I have a lot of respect for Travis as an operator, uh, know several members of that team and think they've done some great innovative work. Um, I think they did, you know, they did personal scooter rentals, they sell scooters, they've got the new kind of bike format. And look, my my job as their competitor is to serve users by being better. Mm-hmm. So I have a lot of respect for my competitors, and yet every day I wake up and, and want to be better. All right. So then, and, and Uber's and Lyft's efforts. So Uber is an investor mm-hmm. in Lime. Right. In addition, we have this deal in a number of geographies across the world where, along with Jump, we're an exclusive provider. Jump is Ubers. Jump is Ubers, sorry. Right. We have Lime scooters integrated into the Uber app. Right. So you I've can see that in D.C., for I example. Do. I do. And our general view is that Uber's trying to make a platform. Mm-hmm. And what they want to do is 
have users get from point A to point B. Like a subway or whatever that you can pay for the yeah. subway that way or whatever. Exactly. Like right. you want to integrate public transit mm-hmm. and ride sharing and mm-hmm. maybe other modalities like van pooling over time. I, I don't have any mm-hmm. uh, access to Uber's product plans, but micromobility is a part of that. And I think, truthfully, they have a part of their business in Jump, which we compete with, and a part of their business in the ride-sharing marketplace, mm. uh, the Uber app, where we're a partner. And that's kind of normal for these early stages of markets where sometimes your partners are also competing with you and sometimes your competitors are also partnering with you. That's the state we're in with Uber. Does that mean you have to get bought by Uber? No. Or that has to be a- no, no, no. I actually think – I have a lot of respect for the Jump team, and at the same time, I look at our global market share, and I'm very happy vis-a-vis our competitive position. And what about the valuations, the enormous? How do you answer that? People go, that's ridiculous, Joe Krause. I think if you look at the total addressable market for how big micromobility is, if you rewind the clock a year ago, I think there were legitimate questions about can people make money. Mm -hmm. I think if you look at the scooter space, it went through the Gartner hype cycle relatively quickly. So – There was a period of time, I'd say a full 18 months ago, where the scooter business was viewed as the answer to cancer. Mm -hmm. It was literally – you put a scooter on the ground. It's an ATM. It starts throwing off cash. It's amazing. I would say nine months ago, let's call it uh, November, December 2018 through January, February 2019, we were in the trough of despair Mm -hmm. in that Gartner hype cycle. Not only that, it's nobody will ever make money in this business. They break down, people throw Yeah, yeah, scooters last 30 days. Nobody's ever going to make money. This is just a fool's errand, and it's a great service while the VC money uh, lasts. And when the music ends— there's a lot of those businesses. There's a lot of those businesses. Many people still think Uber is that. So I understand why skepticism was there. Mm -hmm. I think we're in an entirely different position today. So we have a large number of markets that are— what we would call unit economic or contribution margin positive, meaning on a market basis, they're making money. That doesn't mean the whole company is making money, Mm -hmm. but those markets are making money. And we've been able to demonstrate and prove that this is not just about building a world-changing service. We can build a world-changing business that allows a world-changing service to be durable. Mm -hmm. And that has come through grinding out the details on how you make this business work because it's complicated, right? We have a supply chain that starts in China, gets scooters into a local market, a a warehouse, people that operate, maintain, repair, deploy, Mm -hmm. prevent scooters from being stolen, collect them from the field, organize a group of people that can charge them every night. Mm -hmm. Like it is a lot of moving parts. it's a logistical nightmare. A logistically difficult business. But the interesting part is that's also the moat. Mm -hmm. That's why, you know, truthfully – It's why at the surface this looks like people think it's very similar to Uber's business because we're matching riders and Oh, I think they have far less votes than you all do. You're an operational. I think your problem is it's so difficult. It's it's such an executionally difficult. It is an executionally difficult business, Mm -hmm. which is, I think, the moat and the challenge. Well, one thing that's interesting is I find I am very price sensitive to Uber – rides but not to scooters. It's really interesting. You know, we see that in the data too. It's fascinating because I was like, that's too much money today. But then a scooter was something that was more than I thought. And I'm like, oh, well, I thought it, was, it was worth, you know what I mean? Because it's low enough, that's, which is interesting. So your point is what we survey users mm-hmm. constantly on this kind of topic. And what you just said is exactly what is I just said don't even know what the speaking. price is. And it's not, if it's, as long as it's not 20 bucks, I'm like, fine. We're here with Joe Krause, the president of Lime. We're going to talk about safety and other challenges that the scooter companies face uh, when we return. 
Wow, that guy means business. Just an amazing player. No, not him, the sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield, so he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are in APY. APY can change at any time. Support for this show comes from Fiverr, the world's largest marketplace for freelance services. In the fast-paced world of business, every decision counts. And when it comes to hiring, there's no room for guesswork. That's why Fiverr has developed solutions for businesses to make outsourcing projects simple, quick, and compliant. You can gain access to curated talent through Fiverr Pro's catalog of top freelancers, organized by skill and experience. Streamline your projects with a user-friendly dashboard, where you can track progress and collaborate with your team. And for anyone needing the highest level of white glove service, Fiverr Pro's project partners can manage multiple freelancer engagements for you. Project partners will outline requirements, assemble a roster of freelancers, and manage a schedule to ensure your deliverables are completed on time. Ready to scale smarter? Visit pro.fiverr.com to sign up and use code VOX for 15% off any service. That's pro.fiverr.com and use code VOX. We're here with Joe Kress, the president of Lime. We've been talking about sort of the business, the difficulty of the competition. So you feel like it's going to shake out, like it won't, it will, like most things. There are usually winners in the end. If you force me to bet, I would say I think it'll be a Lime as a dominant player in Europe with a fragmented competitive landscape of different regional players dominating different countries. And then I think in the U.S., I think it'll continue to be a market share battle between Lime and Bird. And Asia? You know, right now we're primarily in Australia, New Zealand. Right. We think that there's. We saw you in Australia. We think that there's interesting markets in uh, East Asia. We're much more bearish on Southeast Asia, both in terms well, of. Well, because you're banging up against. You're banging up against Grab, who's. Who's already been in this space. And a fundamentally uneconomic competitor, mm-hmm. um, kind of a scorched earth competitor, when we also think that willingness to pay in that market in terms of revenue per trip is, is more limited. Um, we think that the use case in terms of traffic is is very good, but um, we're more bearish on those markets. And then China? You know, actually, scooters aren't legal in China today. Right. Um, but they have all kinds of different mo- micro-mobility efforts. There's lots of things going on there. Um, so, And also that market's difficult. But speaking of China, you guys get your stuff made in China. We have a team of 70 people in China that design the vehicle that source all the components, that basically do all the engineering, and then we work with three assemblers that take that design and create it um, on an exclusive basis. And so, yeah, our supply chain is in China. So what? There's a, apparently there's a trade war going on. I've heard of rumor. Yes. I've heard tell you, of this I, trade I hereby, war. I hereby order you to stop doing business with them. Uh, yes. Note taken. Um, <laughs> note the, ignored. The, um, yeah, we pay more for our scooters. Uh, coming into the United States as a result of the Trump tariff, 25 percent more, in fact. So what do you do? What is what is the company? Because that can, that can really hit a startup hard. It can. Obviously, the business gets better if trade war is resolved. Trade peace, it's called. Trade peace is mm-hmm. created. But our business is still economical in the United States. We still have many markets where we're making money even with a 25 percent higher price scooter. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything to be done? Can you source them elsewhere? You know, I What think about the United States? You, you certainly 
could. It's not clear to me that the total cost of the scooter right. would still be less than— It was a than, multi-million dollar and, scooter. And the truth is that moving a factory is not an easy thing no. to do, and it's not a short-term commitment. So mm-hmm. I think we might look at other opportunities for assembling in different areas of the world. Uh, probably the most egregious is Brazil. Brazil has a 111% import tariff. That makes that market harder. Um, to bring anything in. To bring anything in. Right. At all, no matter where it comes from. Right. So, How big are you in South America? You're not, right? You're not in... Th- we have operations in, I would say, seven or eight cities. Mm-hmm. Bogota, Colombia, in Santiago, Chile, in Rio, in Sao Paulo, and several other markets. Actually, there are really good pockets of markets in there, but I would say it's a more concentrated play in the right cities um, and in the right places where there's either a lot of tourist traffic or a lot of congestion. Right. And also, these equipment's really important to have different kind of goods. You're also making them hardier, right, so that they don't break quite as easily. Yeah, I think the the thing that everybody focuses on in the business, rightly so, is how long do your scooters last, Right. which is how a combination of hardware, mm-hmm. and it's a combination of how do you operate it, how do you maintain it, how do you collect it, how do you mm-hmm. make sure it doesn't get stolen, how do you make sure you don't lose it, uh, how do you make sure you have good mechanics. And that game of inches is basically what allows your – that hardware coupled with great operations is what allows your vehicles to last longer and longer and How longer. How long do they last now? We're now in the seven and a half months range. And then what happens to them? They get anything from recycled to broken down into parts to fix other scooters. Right. And the difficulty is finding people who can fix them, right? What we've learned is how to train mechanics and how to spread that knowledge and generate standard operating procedures and get them standardized across now 100-plus markets around the world. So, mm-hmm. I mean, as we've been talking about, this is literally a game of details, and that's one of the details that what you've got to get What is the biggest right. problem around deployment and stealing and shrinkage, I guess, essentially? You can look on a city for hotspots about where the scooters go to die, mm-hmm. and then you can kind of anything from contained service areas to making sure that – Um, high alert tickets get sent out for people to retrieve scooters that are in in areas that are kind of danger zones in terms of being uh, stolen. Where do they go when they're stolen? (laughs) You got me. I'm assuming you have ways to tag them, right, or to follow them. We certainly have ways to follow them, but at some point a scooter could be, you know. Disassembled. Disassembled, destroyed, something. Here's the thing. I think most people think it's a jungle out there. Mm-hmm. You put your scooters on the street. Everybody's ah. trying to steal them. The reality of the business is far more subtle. There is some theft and vandalism. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. Mm-hmm. You see enough Instagram videos of people driving yeah, scooters like off, you know, yeah. off a cliff or doing something with them that is an unintended use. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that theft and vandalism is a small fraction of what makes the business difficult. What makes the business difficult is when you're managing a fleet of I don't know, 120,000, 150,000, 200,000, 250,000 vehicles that are on the road simultaneously, actually managing just that scale is itself the hard part. It's not really the bit that gets stolen, although that's a part of it. It's just the fact that you have so many vehicles that you're trying to— So many small vehicles. So many small vehicles that you're trying to find, maintain, address— Update. <laughs> just that was interesting. I was thinking, what's interesting to me is that like Hertz and those people haven't gotten involved in any of this stuff, which I find fascinating. You know what's interesting is I do think that the business— Because they do that. They do. They do fleet about. management. They right. are fleet management companies right. Right. Um, fundamentally. Right. I don't know what the scale of the Hertz and Enterprise fleets are, but 
They've got to be yeah, really large. Huge, right. Huge. It's the same business, really, in a lot of ways. I'm mm-hmm. fascinated they haven't even touched them. The big difference, I would say, is cars are— Harder to lose. Not only that, but the car has been around for right. over 100 years, right. and scooters are like three years old. Right. So, well, they're uh, not. People rode them for years, but just not in this fashion. That's true. That is true. There's like pictures of scooter races from right. 1900. So, so let's get into that issue, and then I want to talk about the company and its funding and stuff. To finish up, safety is probably your number one problem. I, this is the thing I worry about the most. And obviously, I've tried out your helmets, and you're designing helmets with burn. You're doing all kinds of things. But the fact of the matter is, in all these devices, you, if you put a helmet, say they put them on the scoot, you worry about people's heads. Like, do Depends you wanna, on the market. They don't yeah. worry about that in Australia for some reason. Okay. Or but they do in the United States. People don't want to share helmets, people here. I was just with a micromobility lawyer, and she was talking about these things that they blow up on your neck. I've and they cover. They were, they were loving those. They were fascinated with those, because essentially, it's like a car safety it's like an airbag for airbag your for your head it was like come on and then i was like and then i looked into it and it's actually quite fascinating all the time there's all kinds of things but getting people to wear helmets and i got caught on a video i wear helmets all the time on these things except once when my boss actually got a picture of me at south I think it was by in southwest austin texas austin texas there, yeah. and he thought i was on the highway i was not on the highway riding you were like, on, on an underpass I doing was kind of going a under turn. yes and i was going to dinner with him and he somehow got behind me and took a video and everyone gave me a hard time justifiably i shouldn't have done it. i just was late and I like – I love scooters. As you know, I'm a big scooter fan. And um, But I do worry about, you know, the people, I'm watching people drunk on them, watching people ride them like crazy. People yep. ride them like double and triple. I was in Providence. Where yep. was I? Somewhere I was where there were three or four people on a tandem scooter. Riding. Tandem riding. And it, there was a guy with a kid riding at his feet, which yep. I was like – I nearly like – I couldn't stop him. Like, I was like, what are you doing? Like, so it's, it was interesting. The whole safety thing is, I think, you're one of your biggest liabilities. The second is uh, insurance liability of people who hurt people on scooters and who get hurt on scooters. Because apparently, I just gave up my car insurance because I don't have a car anymore because I'm using scooters, but I don't have insurance. So how do you deal with that? Like, I don't, I'm not, is it your homeowner's insurance? Is it your, it's a really interesting, I'm looking into it right now. Yeah. So let's talk about safety. Safety as you rightly point out, is something that we spend a lot of time thinking about is really important. It's important to our riders. It's important to us as a business. I'll start with what's our objective. Our objective is to make this as safe as bicycles or safer. Like, we think that's a reasonable target. Bicycles go about the same speed as a scooter. In fact, bicycles can go faster. Mm -hmm. People understand basically the risks associated with being on a bike. A lot of them. Yeah, Yeah. a lot of them. Right. So we do several things as it relates to safety, but that's our objective. Mm -hmm. The first is we try to teach people how to ride. Like the Centers for Disease Control looked at when do accidents happen on a scooter. Mm-hmm. 30% of the accidents, about a third, happen on your first ride. Right. So we run these things called first ride academies mm-hmm. that basically teach people how to ride. I think it's strange that the industry can make an assumption that people just know how to ride these things. Mm-hmm. It's a brand new vehicle. Right. A lot of people don't know how to ride right. it. Right. And so teaching people how to ride and safe riding techniques – which is part of why we launched a feature called Group Ride. Mm-hmm. So other than the United States, you can teach me how to ride a scooter. You can unlock my scooter for me on your account. You can mm-hmm. unlock several scooters. And we can go on a group ride. And we believe that that increases safety because you're teaching me and mm-hmm. reducing that risk on that first ride. Right. 60% of rides uh, accidents happen in the first nine rides. Again, mm-hmm. we think it's about people learning how to ride this vehicle. So we invest like in these first ride academies. Yeah, exactly. The next is... How do we deal with drunk riding? Mm-hmm. In many markets, on Friday and Saturday nights after I think it's 9 or 10 o'clock, we have a challenge that's basically an interstitial that makes you enter some information as a challenge. If you can't complete it, 
maybe you shouldn't be mm-hmm. uh, riding a scooter. It won't unlock it. That's right. I can't remember precisely all the details, mm-hmm. but yes, it's a challenge right. to say, do this and you can unlock the scooter. We've given away, I think it's on the order of a quarter million helmets mm-hmm. um, as another piece of how do you increase safety by giving people helmets because many, many, many people who want to ride scooters don't have helmets. And we think that the most effective way to do safety is bike lanes. Mm-hmm. The reality is that most – there's a series of injuries that can happen when you alone are on the scooter. Maybe you get a pothole. Yeah. But the amount of energy you have there is 15 miles an hour-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, so Some are, are governored, right? Some sco- The scooters in Austin are much faster than the scooters in D.C. are like – Correct. Walking is faster in Correct. Certain cities implement what do you certain— you have, like, seven miles in it? What is it? I don't know specifically it's anymore. It's real what the, slow. It's real slow. Yeah. It's probably 15 in one and 19 in another, something like that, or 13. Austin is, like, scary. I was like, slow down scooters. It was kind of funny. But the real long-term safety is you separate high-speed traffic, which is cars, right. from mid-speed yeah. traffic, which is bikes and scooters, from slow-speed traffic, which is pedestrians. And you see that in Europe— when they invest in that kind of infrastructure, and I would point to the Netherlands as the perfect example, mm-hmm. the highest bike ridership on the planet and some of the lowest helmet wearing on the planet mm-hmm. and the least number of injuries because they have better infrastructure. Mm-hmm. I'm not advocating not riding a helmet. We always advocate wearing a helmet, but mm-hmm. I'm simply saying that the right long-term— The bike lanes are critical. Bike lanes I'm, are critical. I'm thrilled in San Francisco riding scooters because of bike lanes. Yeah, there's more and more and more of them. Right. It's really sure. interesting. And, and I, I take it, a scooter every day from the Caltrain station. That Uber ride is 20 minutes to my office. My scooter ride is seven minutes. Mm-hmm. So I'm saving like four days a year. So when you think about the, the idea of safety, you're not going to avoid some injury. But the, the idea of bike lanes, you also run into people who are riding bikes. And there's a, you know, there's a very strong constituency for that, that you're in these bike lanes with motorized vehicles. There's a lot of e-bikes in those yeah. in those lanes now too. Yep. To to be honest, yeah, we actually think we're very much long-term aligned with the biking advocacy groups because we want the same thing: mm-hmm. more bike lanes, no cars, no. We want fewer cars, more bike lanes, more pedestrian-friendly cities with less congestion. Do you and imagine more there being no cars in cities? There's all these conge- You know, right now, well, I mean, you a- see it in Oslo. There's right. no cars in the center of Oslo. Many of those European cities are far more serious about car-free zones, congestion pricing, and making their New sustainability. Yeah, I know. I saw the congestion pricing. Which is really controversial. And Mm -hmm. on the west side, they're making bike lanes, which the rich people on the west side or on Central Park West are pissed about. Um, But it it seems like it's an inevitable that bike lanes are going to— I think it's a matter of when— I think cars take up 75 percent of the street space. They need to go down to 50, if not less. Look, I think the reality is cars are all around us, but we don't Mm -hmm. see them anymore. We're Mm -hmm. totally car blind. The amount of space we take for parking places, the amount of space we take for the roads, parking structures— I'm amazed but not surprised that somebody sees one scooter tipped over in the on yeah. the sidewalk and that's a five alarm fire and they don't There's see There's a lot of them, Joe. Come on, some of them and some Paris was insane. I was walking over like it was like dead bodies, like someone shot a scooter. There is family. a hundred percent we gotta train people right. on how to do good parking. Yeah. Which in Paris now, by the way, you can't park on the sidewalk anymore. You have to be on the street. Right. And so I think there's ways to integrate these and that's a separate point from the fact that I think we're just car blind because nobody – very few people that are alive today ever knew a world without cars right. from the moment you opened your eyes. So what about insurance? That's another thing. That yeah, we, we certainly offer insurance and it's an important part of the business. Mm-hmm. I think that um, one of the things to consider is the nature of 
Well, so what specifically do you want to know well, so about insurance? so I don't have car insurance anymore. So if I hit someone on a scooter, I was like, who, how am I covered? I, I'll send you the law blog, law blog. Yeah, we have an insurance policy that covers riders as right. they ride. Right. And how will people, when we get in a micromobility world, think of insurance? Like, it's a really interesting question because you're, you're often covered by car insurance for a lot of mobility. Yeah, in this case, Lyme has, again, yes. an insurance policy that, that right. we cover. I think one of the parts about insurance that's interesting to consider here relative to other modalities Mm -hmm. is that the speeds are lower. Mm -hmm. And so the, for an insurance company, again, this is not speaking from the point of view of the rider, from an insurance company, you're carrying less energy, which means that the range of injuries is actually different. But there's one injury or even a death on a scooter. It's written about in the media and other places, just like with self-driving, just like with a lot of things. That's right. Because people are new to it. And again, thus far, all of those deaths have sadly involved contact with a car. Right. Right. Absolutely. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the company. How much funding have you guys, how much did you give? We have raised $777 million to That's date. That's a lot of simoleons. That is what, correct. There's a lot of simoleons. What, and the goal is to what? Go public? Yeah. This, I absolutely believe Lime is, is going to be uh, a public company and a standalone company. We're, that is the path that we're on. And Profitability. You know, we've had experience with Uber and Lyft, which right now they're down 20, 30 percent on Wall Street, which has finally sort of gone, no, this is a financially problematic situation. For I actually company. think that the scooter companies and Lime, the firm, foremost among them, will be much more capital efficient than the ride-sharing companies, despite the fact that we have to buy scooters. Primary reasons is that, uh, several fold. One is it costs a lot less driver. to buy a as, scooter. As Travis liked to say, yeah. the problem is the driver in the front seat. Remember Travis Kalanick? Yeah, <laughs> I remember that statement. The problem is the driver in the front seat. When you get rid of him, it's a great business. <laughs> so there, you have gotten rid of the driver in the front seat. The driver, the rider is the driver. In this right, case, we right. simply buy the scooter. Right, and right. The, you know, I know the fixed price of the scooter in mm-hmm. terms of pay for it, and I know how long it lasts as I get better at it, and I'm not having to constantly subsidize that side of the business. The second piece is Wall Street's pressure on Lyft and Uber for earnings has made for a, uh, just a better – environment in terms of how all the players are looking at the business and what they can do because we're tapping into those same capital markets. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really healthy. So going public is the the thing, not being owned by a giant car company or a Google or that kind of thing. Because you could see Amazon getting into this. You could see all kinds of companies. Again, with the caveat that you can never predict the future, my view is we absolutely have both the growth potential, market size, and profit potential to be a standalone public company. And, and you came in, the you, you the, new, the CEO is now... Brad Bow. Brad Bow. Founder and CEO. Right. There were two co-founders. There were. And you were brought in. Why? Many people are talking that you were brought in to take over from them, the, no. you know, adult in the room. It's, it's happened. It happened in Facebook. It happens in lots of companies. I think my it view is... In yours? It happened in yours. George Bell. Hello. Yeah, that is true. What happened to him? That is true. I hired... Uh, yeah. you know, we all hired George Bell to, yeah. to run Excite. George Bell. I love George Bell. How is George Bell? He's great. The only CEO is to call me to complain about every single article I wrote in the Wall Street Journal. You're welcome. No problem. Anyway, <laughs> but there's been brought in. Have you been brought in for that? My view is all startups are like relay races, right? Mm -hmm. So you have one group of people that are really focused at the beginning on like market discovery. What is this thing and how do we build a supply chain and what's the business? 
I was really brought in on the how do we scale up the precision in our operations as we move from a focus of just about growth to we got to make money out of this business. Mm -hmm. So my charter has really been about how do you scale global operations in a way that drives towards profit, mm -hmm. um, not in a way that just is about getting incremental revenue. Okay, and, and that's is, what where my is that pressure coming from? Is it from the investors, or is it just a different environment right now? I would say it's a different environment. Because there's it's money about, everywhere. There's enough rat holes. The to thing I say money. all the time to the companies, it's not about offering a world-changing service. Mm -hmm. It's about how do you, the way to make a world-changing service is to make a world-changing business. Because if you can make a great business, then your service lasts forever, and it's not about when the money runs out, the service is gone. So... I would say if you want to make the maximum impact, you got to make a great business that's durable and sustainable. So, so you're I, not here to kick the founders out, that, no. kind of, that kind of environment? No. My general view here is, one, I'm a big believer in founder-led companies because I think the data certainly suggests that founder-led companies are better in terms of growth, motivation, mission. And then the second is Brad is really well qualified on being cross-border. You know, mm -hmm. he was born in China, has all those relationships, has seen Ofo and Mobike and the mistakes mm -hmm. of those. As we look at so many of these trends actually start in China now mm -hmm. and then get brought to the West in a different mode, having that cross-border expertise is incredibly complementary, at least to the skills that I bring. Like, I don't have any of that. So what do you, as a pair or as a group, find then the most challenging thing? What are you most scared of? Like, it's interesting you just said China's where innovation starts. I was just arguing with someone. I was interviewing someone. They're like, you're too nice. China's coming. I'm like, China's where innovation is starting now, even if it's government-controlled innovation. Where do you imagine your biggest challenge? Of all the different things we talked about, or maybe one I didn't mention, what do you think, what are you worried most about? Um... You know, I am super focused on the operational details of the business. The main things that I think about are how do we continue to um, be good operators in cities all around the world? Scooters are clearly so useful to people who ride them, but most people aren't yet riding them. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to forget that 99% of the world never or more has never ridden one of these things. Being good actors in these cities, paying close attention to the way we handle parking and the way we handle people not riding on sidewalks and educating users on good ridership is key to making this market big. Um, and how do I get more and more people on these vehicles? Because my general experience has been once you've ridden yep, one, I would agree with you. You, you understand. And when mm -hmm. you see it from afar, you're like, well, this is a bunch of tourists and mm -hmm. kids making noise right, like on a, a scooter. Yeah, yeah. A but you ride it and you realize, oh, my God, I can make that coffee with a friend that I wouldn't have been able to make. I can get to work on commute twice as fast as I could via a car. And you kind of can make the leap viscerally to cities can be better. Actually, there's a different way. Mm -hmm. And actually, in my opinion, the biggest barrier to – Lime success and the industry success has nothing to do with regulation or supply chain. It's a lack of imagination. And this is just a human characteristic. It's a lack of imagination that the future can be any different than the past. And getting people onto a scooter for the first time tends to unlock that imagination. Well, you also have to get a range of people, not just millennials zipping around. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I got a whole group of old guys on them. I, sh I shouldn't have done that, but I did. I was at a dinner in Austin. I was heading out of the air, uh, out of the. I think I talked about this out of the hotel, and 
Uh, they were look, looking around for their Uber app, and I'm like, I'm getting on this. There were a million scooters in Austin. There's so many available at any one time. And I got on when I'm taking a scooter, and I had my helmet with me, actually, at this one. And they didn't. <laughs> they didn't. They should have, but they didn't. Um, and they took them, and I have to say, it was the most enjoyable dinner with a pack of white guys. I've ever, you know, they were like these old business types, and they got on. They were like children. They were like teenagers. It was interesting. It was an interesting mood elevator in a weird way. Uh, so, but I wouldn't let them on them afterwards because they drank, and okay. it was really interesting. I was like, but, you're not. But getting that on thing that you're tapping into, like one of the things that I love about the job is how many products make people smile. Like literally, there was a joy. No Oreos. <laughs> okay, fair enough. How many tech products make people AirPods. smile? Okay. Yeah, you're right. Not, you very, know. Many. Not and, very many. And literally, there's a childlike element to it. I know that sounds hokey, but you saw it yeah. with, with those No, folks. I get it. I get it. I just think that it, there's too many of them, and it obscures what is a really interesting trend, which is micromobility versus these crazy valuations and the safety issues and the execution issues. And then when they're piled all around, it's visually – Chaotic. I think that's really what And I happened. think those are the easy things to talk about, truthfully. Sure. But and, that's what you're going to have to – you still have to deal contend with them. Of course. You know we what have I mean? to deal like, with them. It's just the same thing. Anyway, this is fascinating, Joe. I will we'll have you back um, to talk more. I am a scooter fan. I'm sorry to say, <laughs> but I am. I love them. And I do think the, all these kind of micromobility businesses are really interesting going forward. Um, and to my listeners in the Midwest, you can still drive your friggin' car. Just or your truck or whatever you want to drive, your SUV, go right ahead. But there is a, a significant trend in this area. I think we can, you can see it happening you can in real feel time. It. Anyway, thank you for coming on the show, Joe. Thanks, Kara. You can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. My executive producer, Eric Anderson, is at Erica America. My producer, Eric Johnson, is at Hey Hey ESJ. Joe, where can people find you online? At Lime? It's at Lime. Is it? At Lime. Um, and then you, do you, you don't, you're not very online ish. Where's, uh, anyway, at Lime. I'm hiding. You're hiding. I'm a lurker. If you, Really don't say that in today's environment. <laughs> if you like this episode, that. we'd really appreciate it if you shared it with a friend. And make sure to check out our other podcasts, Recode Media Pivot and Land of the Giants. Just search for them in your podcasting app of choice. Thanks also to our editor, Joel Rabe. Thank you for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Monday. Tune in then.